Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. We're back. Hey, howdy, <laughs> hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. I got to push the button. That's what it takes. Yes, push the button. <laughs> Great tune by the Chemical Brothers. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, doing more of what I really love to do is hanging out in the studio. Mm-hmm. My good buddy, John Palmer. Yes, and our good buddy, JP. JP. That's right. Now that we don't have Justin to deal with anymore. <laughs> we will do shows all night. <laughs> He's like, work, work, work. He doesn't even know we're here. No, we just we just dropped in. That. He's asleep in the other room. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> he probably thinks, uh, yeah, we're uh, you know signing books or working. Yeah, Whatever, yeah, dude. yeah. No. no. He's not here. We're going to do what we damn well please, which is another show. We're going four shows in a row, yeah. which means we've consumed 20 pints. 20 pints, yeah. 20, 25, I don't know. Of eight, that's baby. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, the that's standard uh, five pints a show. Five pints a show. That's about right, yeah. That's mm-hmm. what you guys have been doing. That's pretty close. And surprisingly, you're both really skinny, which I enjoy. No, I'm not. Oh. oh. <laughs> we carry all our weight that's what everybody our... tells me. <laughs> that you're not skinny? Yes. Yes. Oh. Absolutely. Got mean people. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well. Um, you know, speaking of uh, skinny people. Uh, John Blickman, he's pretty. He's, he's yeah. in shape. He is. He's maintained his. What the heck up edge. with that guy? Uh, nervous geek energy. I don't know. You know? Yeah, that might be. Yeah, you know, normally, dri- normally I wouldn't trust passion, a skinny person. Yeah, because, passion you know, for brewing keeps them active. Those skinny people, you know, there's there's something going on there. They're not they're not drinking enough, or you know, <laughs> I don't know. But Blickman, he seems like a, a solid guy, and I would I yeah. would, uh, you know, if I were you. Listen to this show. I would I would go to BlickmanEngineering dot com, Blickman with two ends, mm-hmm. and uh, you know send them an email. You know check out all their products. Send them an email, whether you're buying anything or not. Yeah, and ask him why he's so skinny. Ask him why he's so skinny. Say hey, you know you look you look pretty fit. What the heck? Why are you so fit? What's the matter? You're not drinking enough beer? No, no, no. Send him an email and say hey, thank you for <laughs> sponsoring the show because because you sponsor the show, I get to listen to it. Uh, of course, unless you don't enjoy the show, then you know, just go away. But uh, you know, if you do enjoy the show, tell him, tell him, tell him that you appreciate it because he's paying for it, so you don't have to. And uh, you know, that, that that's really cool because you know he could do other things with his money. Uh, he could buy more right. food and and be fatter, mm-hmm. but you know he doesn't. 
He's skinny because he's he's sponsoring this show, probably. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's 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 genuinely very nice of him, and uh, you know, he he did that as a favor to uh, Mr. John Palmer and myself. Yep. And the Brewing Network, and um, you know, he doesn't need to do that. He just does it out of the kindness of his heart. So make sure you uh, you know go back to him and 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 show him the love as well. You know, send him an email. It doesn't cost you anything to send an email, and he really enjoys it. You know, hearing uh, you know the positive response. So make sure you do that. And uh, you know, all those Blickman Engineering, you know, uh, goodies, the uh, top tier system, <laughs> the Terminator, the. A beer gun, all that great stuff that you've heard about, mm-hmm. you can pick that up at uh, your local homebrew shop. You know, That's right. if they don't carry it, ask them why. Just say, "Hey, I want to, I want to buy some Blickman stuff." Hmm. And uh, you know, you they can order it. They can, they uh, can order uh, direct from him, and he'll should. drop ship it to yeah. you. And and you should support your uh, local homebrew shop. You really should. Yep. Because uh, you know those are the ones who add new homebrewers to the market. Those are probably who got you started. Don't forget that. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's how our our business works is uh, you know making sure new homebrewers come in and and that makes it possible for you to buy geeky things like a right. a, a Blickman Terminator and a Blickman beer gun or a Blickman top tier system is because uh, you know uh, there's there's a lot of uh, right uh, you know now your local homebrewer is the one going to be the one that's going to introduce you to that new hop variety. Right. Um, or that new malt that you've you've thought about trying. Or when you've brewed <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're ready to pitch your yeast, you pitch your yeast and it's dead. Yeah. And you call that guy up and say, oh, I know you're closing, but uh, can you stay there a half hour late instead of going home to your family and having dinner? Can you stay there so I can come and get some yeast? Oh, those are good phone calls. I don't yeah. miss those at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, th- those guys do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if, if if you don't want that option, then don't buy from your local homebrew shop. If you do want that option, support your local homebrew shop. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Solid stuff. That's right. All right. Also support the Brewing Network. Good stuff in the uh, Brewing Network store. And we're doing uh, yet another Q and A because we are listening to your emails. Right. Yeah, send an email to uh, Brewing Network, uh, the, Strong at the Brewing Network dot com, and we will get to them. I, you know, I know we've been a little lax in uh, following up on all of these. We're we're trying to knock out as many as we can, so we're going to do a number of Q and A shows to kind of catch up, and then we'll we'll get back to our regular uh, kind of progression. But uh, journalistic, we want to make sure you know if you if you bother, it's like uh, emails you send to us individually. We answer them. That's right. We're not going to ignore them. You know, it may take us weeks or a month to, to get to them but we will do them because if you took the, the trouble to send us a question or send us an email we're glad to respond absolutely you know your support is important to us so you know same thing on this show all right jp what do you have yes, for us as our uh, first question uh this email uh sent to bruce strong at the brewing network.com um from white russian uh entitled mystery of missing sugars uh, hello brewing gurus I brewed a uh, 1.102 OG barley wine back in June that sat in primary for three weeks and then in secondary on oak cubes for five weeks. At bottling time, the final gravity was 1019, resulting in uh, an 11.2% ABV. I was concerned that the yeast might have crapped out by then, so I rehydrated half a packet of dry champagne yeast and added that. Yesterday, three months later, I opened a bottle, drank half, and decided to measure the final gravity again. I was surprised to find out that it was a 1013. 
It just didn't look or taste like there was contamination, and there was just a bit of carbonation. Could the champagne yeast have chewed through some extra sugars in addition to the bottling sugar? If so, why wasn't it much more carbonated? Ah, very good. I've, I've got several thoughts on this, and, mm-hmm. and one is... Um, you know, people use champagne yeast, and champagne yeast are really the wrong yeast to use for, you know, trying to drive attenuation in in a beer or a package or whatever. Champagne yeast will really consume the simpler sugars. They're really not designed to consume the, uh, you know, maltose and the longer chain, uh, maltotriose and, and those right. things, right? So really what you should be using is a lager yeast. Yes. You know, the lager yeast can actually consume more if you're trying to drive something down and you're trying to get more attenuation. Um, your champagne yeast can handle a higher alcohol percentage. But unless you're getting, you know, uh, Chris White told me that every yeast can handle 10% alcohol, and almost all of them can can, can handle up to like 15% alcohol. Okay. So you can use a, just about any yeast. I think that the, you know, if you, you know, the difference between, um, what was it, 1019 and 1013? 1019 and 1013, yeah. And 1013, as far as carbonation goes, it's really not that much carbonation. You might think that, you know, the carbonation really hasn't changed that much, mm-hmm. you know, and you it may be just missing, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's, you know, whatever it might be on that. The other thing is... Um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, uh, you know, contamination, you know, bacteria, wild yeast, they can actually consume those things. And in a beer like that, you may not notice it. It just depends on, I'm not saying that your palate isn't developed enough for for that. You know, I, I may be totally wrong in this, but there are cases where somebody can't taste the difference in that. So that, that could also be one possibility. Um and one of the other most likely candidates is when you first took that that gravity reading, mm-hmm. if you took it fresh off the fermenter, yeah. what happens is there's a lot of CO2 in there, and this happens all the time. Uh, People yeah. just don't make sure that every last little bubble is off the hydrometer. Those tiny little bubbles that attach to the hydrometer, they lift the hydrometer up, and you get a higher gravity reading. And so you're thinking, well, this is 1019, and you haven't spun it and gotten all the bubbles off and you know, t- totally degas the sample. Right. You end up with a higher gravity reading, and then later on, maybe you end up with a lower gravity reading. So that's another possibility. I'm not saying that any of these are right or wrong, but um, you know, these are all possibilities. Yep. Sounds right. That's all you got. Is it right. sounds right? Yeah, no, it, <laughs> I, I think you covered it. I mean, um, okay. The as as you said, the champagne yeast is not a right, high right, sugar right. fermenter, a larger fermenter. It's right, right. Simple. Right. Okay. Great. Next question. Great. Uh, this one is from Kim. She says, "Wood, I, Kim Wood. Oh, my baby. Very stand, hanging around. Oh, strike three here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right." Uh, she says, uh, I added a vial of sour mix to a Saison when it was about 10.14. This was six months ago. I think it's about 10.08 now, uh, but it's still not really sour, and I don't love mm-hmm. the flavor. Should I add more bugs, uh, give it more time, both? Hmm. Well, it, it may never get there, right? Yeah. 
I think the, uh, so. More bugs isn't necessarily always the answer. Because I mean, if she's at ten oh eight right now, uh, she's ten oh eight. Yes, eight points. Yeah, eight points should sour it up pretty good. Okay. I mean, you know, enough to to taste it in a ten sixteen, especially a beer without a lot of residual malt character, like a barley one. If you sour that up for eight points. Yeah, it's nothing. If you take a saison that uh, you know doesn't have a lot of other extraneous malt characters, it's mainly Pilsner malt and you know mm-hmm. a couple other things. You know, when you go ahead and sour that up, there's not a lot of crystal malts and these other things to you know kind of mask that sourness. You should recognize the tartness. Um, it depends on what she added in order to sour it up in the first place. In the temperature in which she provided, um, I would, you know, it, it may help to add more sour bugs and give it, you know, a little warmer temperature and, and give it a try and, and see what happens. Um, you know, the interesting thing is if you're already getting a lot of character from the bugs, you know, if you're getting mm-hmm. like a bread and, a, you know, other kind of you know, funky characters that you're looking for, and that's all adequate, but it's just not sour enough, I really believe that's an appropriate time to add lactic acid. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. just dose it a little bit with some lactic acid. It'll sharpen it up. You'll feel like it's got the sourness you need, but it's still got the funk. The problem with lactic acid is when you brew a beer and just add lactic acid to it, it's sour, but it doesn't taste right it's just artificially sour it's yeah. you know microwave steak versus um you know just uh you know hitting it with um the right kind of uh you know bugs and all that and so if 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 you got that i would just i would maybe just hit it with a touch of lactic i think that's not a bad way to go yeah that sounds about right i was seeing you know if she- I misunderstood the question, I guess. If she was down at 10.08, mm-hmm. um, then there probably wouldn't be a whole lot left to sour you know, right, if she had to right. add more bugs, too. You so. could add some simple sugars, too, and then yeah, you know, that sour would, it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make a little like a little mini beer and blend it. Right. Uh, you know, maybe make a, a slurry of, uh, you know, lactobacillus or, you know, bread or something like that and, uh, uh, you know, table sugar. Get that going, then add that in. And that, that might do. Great. Yeah. All right. Um, CalPro in the chat, uh, he writes, JP, I am interested in a fermentation strategy for making a braggot. Palmer said in an earlier show that too much simple sugar to malt ratio will screw up the fermentation. How do you brew a high percentage of honey into a braggot? I was interested in doing, and then I cut off his question. So uh, basically, uh, fermentation strategy for high percentage of honey uh, into a braggot. Um, do the beer first, get that prim- primary fermentation going, and then um, add in a add in your honey after three four days of primary fermentation. As soon as you see fermentation start to s- s- slow a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know that's that's the point to start adding your your honey a little bit. Yeah, you know. And uh, daily, another pound of honey or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a, a pound of honey is not very, it's like a cup. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a lot. So just pour that in the fermenter. That'll, you know, start going again. See it start to taper off. Add another pound. Mm-hmm. Warm the temperature up. Yeah. Yeah. Fermentation. And- uh, nutrients? Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. 
Um, although if depends you know, on how much honey you're planning on going. If you if you're talking about doing a you know fifty sixty percent honey, then yeah, you probably need some nutrients. Yeah. If you're you know ten twenty percent then or thirty percent, eh. no, the the the, the yeast are probably good nutrition wise off the beer uh, wort. Um, they're probably good. They'll probably be able to finish fermenting all that honey just on those nutrients they have stored up. Great. All right. All right. Um, Anthony W. says, um, wants to know how you guys like better bottles. Uh, if you finish now, Jay-Z, weren't you doing some analysis on better bottle versus uh, carboys? Right. Uh, he says that he finds glass carboys self-heat more than a better bottle uh, side by side during a ferment. Uh, so maybe if you do need to raise a temp on your uh, mm-hmm. on your fermentation vessel, that the uh, carboys are a little bit better at conducting that. Or, well, I suppose they are, but you know, if you insulate the 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 vessel, I I don't see any real significant difference. I mean, maybe you know minor minor changes, uh, sure, but um, you know for me, I'm sticking with the better balls. I'm using a couple of better balls right now for uh, doing a pilot proof for Heretic, Heretic, Heretic uh, Brewing Company. So, um, you know, I I I think uh, you know the advantages are they're not breakable like a glass carboy is. They're breakable, but you know, not like a carboy is. They um, lightweight, you know, easily cleanable. You know, just a, a lot of little things that I I like about them. So I'm I'm sticking with the better bottles. I I really don't have a problem with the uh, heat uh, conduction. Hmm. I've never used one. I probably should use one. Yeah, I, you know, I never would have. But um, let's see. I call them Dave. No. I, I don't know the guy's name. I can't remember. Poor guy in Australia who sent me eight better bottles in order to get me to try better bottles. Um, I can't remember his name. But he was like, you know, just give him a try. I said, well, you know, I need like ten of them before I'll give him a try because you want to do side you know, by I have sides. I, I do a lot of side by sides, and I'm not going to just use one. And so he's like, well, eight work. I'm like, yeah, sure. So he sent me eight, mm-hmm. and um, no, I've been trying them out and. You know, if if I didn't like them, I'd just poo-poo them. You know, I there was no, uh, you know, measure of oh, you know, give us a good review if I send you these. It was nothing. It was there was I was wasn't beholden to them at all. And uh, he sent them to me. And he's like, oh, uh, you know, I hope you like them. And I tried them, and I was you know poo-pooing this and that. And I'm just like, I the more I used them, the more I realized, yeah, it's actually a superior container to the carboy hmm. so i stopped using my carboys and it's not perfect and uh you know my biggest complaint is the size of them if they were you know a gallon larger mm-hmm. i'd be in heaven and yeah i've complained to them and the manufacturers like a uh, tough luck <laughs> but you know that's still not going to stop me from using those those are still better than using a carboy so you know, to each his own. I think you know, plastic buckets are good mm-hmm. if you get rid of them often, and yeah. And I think you know, glass carboys are good if you're very careful about breakage and you know other things. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think you know, better bottles are good too. 
All right, so uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get to more of your questions after this. My Bruin brothers and sisters, you can make this Valentine's Day one that you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from AdamandEve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to AdamandEve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. And there's more. With every order, you'll receive our romance kit free. Our romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus a free adult DVD to put you in the mood. And that's not all. Oh no, we also throw in free shipping on your entire order. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer, good through Friday, February 14th only. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter offer code CYBI. That's uh, Can You Brew It, C-Y-B-I, at adamandeve.com. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the intuitive beer gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The Auto Sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. Hey, BN Army, you think you're badass? Well, you are, kind of, like badass, but without the balls to blow something up. Hop Tech in patriotic Dublin, California, recognizes your nearly badassness with a BN Army discount on every order. But there's something those boys and girls in the real Army should know. If you have an APO address or a scan of an active PX card, Hop Tech salutes you as an actual badass and offers their thanks with a 15% discount on every purchase. That's the Hop Tech way of saying thanks. To all active military personnel, 15% off ingredients, kits, equipment, as well as games, books, gifts, and more, all at HopTech.com. Whichever army you're a member of, any branch of the military, or the BN Army, HopTech in Dublin says thank you with great discounts. Call 800-DRY-HOPS, visit the store in Dublin, California, or go to HopTech.com. HopTech, serving homebrewers for 28 years. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the, to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska, in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. 
tasty crack cake. Okay, so my double IPA has an ABV of 7.5 and a clarity of brilliant. So that's a plus eight. I pour it. Sorry. Looks like she found it unpalatable. Ha! Shut up, Doug. My creek gets a plus ten versus girls because it's a fruit beer. You can't open the bottle, and she walks over to the guy with the Pinot Grigio. This sucks. Ugh, I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. What's this? Non-alcoholics Anonymous? Dude, get out of here. We're in the middle of a brew session. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really uh, use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Have you ever been called upon to explain why it's named India Pale Ale? Do you burp Y Yeast 3522 and crap Cascade? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs. Ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the tongue splitter. I've got dry hops stuck in my braces. And the burp. And barrel porter. Now on tap in the Mose Eisley Cantina. Make 10th level at northernbrewer.com. Hilo, what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. It's the Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Diving through <laughs> pint number 20 and uh, show number four. Yes. More questions, JP, from the uh, chat or from the email? Yes, sir. More questions from uh, the chat, actually. Oh, the chat. The chat. Uh, Law 6 uh, asks, when using a kettle to hop rocket to therminator setup, is it okay to only do one pass to lock in the volatile hop aroma flavors without letting DMS reform in the hot wort that is sitting in the kettle? I'm using a pump, so it takes about six to eight minutes. Are you familiar well, with the Hop Rocket uh, Blickman? Yeah. Mix? Yes. Okay, good. All right. mm-hmm. So, well, you know, the, you really only need to worry about DMS if... um didn't boil long enough. Yeah, you know, 100 minutes is considered, you know, two and a half half-lives of DMS formation from SMM. So, you know, if you're boiling 90 minutes, then oh, all right, no big deal. If you're boiling 60 minutes, then, yeah, big deal. So that's that's kind of what it, it settles down to, right, John? Yeah. Um, you know, if you've uh, essentially volatilized all the SMM into, you know, into the atmosphere and all that, uh, you really don't have a, much of a problem going forward. But if you've left that behind and then you start, you turn off the boil and the then the heat subsides and you're not volatilizing it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's still forming into you know DMS comp precursors and all that, and you end up with um, you know a, a, a problem in your wort. So right. you know that six to eight minutes could be problematic if you're not boiling long enough. So the, I right. guess the thing is, you know, my my opinion would be just boil longer. Yeah. I think the the amount, <laughs> the scale of home brewing is it's going to keep 
the amount of DMS formed in that interval, you know, small. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it um, it's not a lot of time compared to say a half hour, you know, or, or longer trying mm-hmm. to, you know, trying mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. five barrels, you know, whirlpooling. That's or something. a good point. Commercially, they would they would rest a lot longer. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, certainly, I think one pass homebrew homebrew scale, even you know, ten fifteen gallon brew mm-hmm. um, through the hop rocket and the chiller, six yeah. to eight to ten minutes. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem. Right. As you say, right. you want to you want to look at your ingredients if you're brewing a hundred percent Pilsner malt, and make sure you do the ninety minute boil. Right. If you're doing British pale ale malt, then you can 60 do minutes. sixty minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It should be fine, yep. and you know, you know, taste will tell you as you go forward. Right, you know, taste the beer. You know, provide that beer to a number of uh, you know taste experts, which are not necessarily BJCP experts. Um, you know that that understand uh, you know uh, beer flavor and uh, things like that and DMS, hmm. and um, you know. If they don't indicate any problem, don't, you know, don't tell them, hey, do you taste DMS in this and hand them right. a beer? You know, just hand them a beer and say, hey, you know, what, uh, you know, what do you think of this beer? Give me an evaluation. Right. And, you know, see what they say. If they go, oh, you know, there's some DMS in this, then you have a DMS problem. If they mm-hmm. don't say anything, then you may or may not have a DMS problem. Um, but if people, without any prompting, say DMS, and that's definitely a problem. So, like right. John's saying, you know, on the grand scale of things, you know, just boil your pills malt 90 minutes and the others 60, and you should be okay. Yep. All right. Uh, this one comes from Milo. Uh, he wants to know what a healthy lager yeast starter should taste like. He has two vials that had about a month left on them. Uh, he says, I pitched them into a two-liter starter on Wednesday. 36 hours on the stir plate, cooled and decanted. I've repitched them onto another two liter, uh, into another two liter starter, and tasted the spent starter. It's definitely yeasty, bitter, but maybe a touch tart as well. I've never had any other slightly sour starters. So, what should a, a proper starter, healthy starter, taste like? Because I know both of you guys have talked about that is taste your yeast, taste everything, uh, but what are they really looking for? Hmm. I wouldn't expect sour. Right. I'd say if it's tart or sour at all, then it's bad. Tart, it, it, tart, sour. I mean, there's a couple of, of yeasts that will have, you know, that will acidify the wort or the beer more than others. But you know, your general, they said lager yeast. Um, I think no, nah, shouldn't be. If if your perception is tart, then mm-hmm. it's probably got bacteria in it. Yeah. You know, Lactobacillus pediococcus. You know, probably not Brett, although Brett could uh, do it as well as Acetobacter, but probably not. Yeah, I think in a starter with Brett, you'd taste phenols more than you would taste sour first. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right, good to know. Um, Nine-toed brewing. Uh, he asks, uh, when formulating a recipe, where is one to start, assuming you've already picked the style? Uh, do you start with an OG, SRM, IBU, base malt, yeast, etc.? I'm working on a house pale ale and have a general idea of what I want, but I'm curious about where to start. Hmm. Prune uh, classic styles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of true. I, I oh. when I I tend to start, I guess, with OG. Yeah, um, yeah. like I'll say, I start for, with base malt. 
Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I start with OG just because I say, oh, I'm gonna, I want to brew uh, a 55, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. beer, 1055. And you then look at it as a whole. Yeah. And I say, okay, that's m- going to make up that beer. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. I say, okay, from there, the base malt, that means the base malt's going to be, you know, roughly 80% of that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I add in, you know, I, then I think, okay, what flavors am I trying to generate? Mm-hmm. And then I'll add in a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, mm-hmm. put it in the spreadsheet and right. see what my OG comes out to. And it's like, okay, well, tweak, tweak, tweak. And that's how I oh, drive right. it. I, and I suppose the way, you know, now that I think about it, is the way that I've been doing um, recipes all along is I kind of look at it as, all right, what specialty malts, What base, first I start with what base malt. Mm-hmm. What is the base malt that provides the base flavor for this beer? Because that's your biggest decision right there. Yeah. Is it, you know, like a domestic two-row? Is it a Pilsner malt? Is it, you know, whatever it might be. And I will, you know, lay that down first. And then I'm like, okay, what other flavor malts do I need? Whatever specialty malts do I need? And then I will lay those in next. And I will say, well, it's going to be, you know, this crystal or this special, you know, this roast or whatever it might be. And I will lay those in in, in percentages based on the amount of base malt that I've done. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to the base malt, what percentage do I need to do of each of these? Once I've done that, then I look at the thing as a whole, and the nice thing about these um, brewing applications is they allow you to say, okay, well, based on this concoction of, of malt, yeah, it's, it's only looking at 1028, and I need to make it a 1064, you know, then maybe I will, you know, adjust it up or, you know, I will generally I'll just increase the base malt to get to me, get where I want. But you can dial it up and, and, and crank the whole thing up to get to where you want or down to where you want. Usually, I think, you know, I start with, um, you know, seven or eight pounds of base malt and then my specialty malts and I tend to be a little over and then I'll dial down a little bit yeah. and yeah. kind of monkey with the, uh, percent, the percentages and the total that way. But... Um, and it's important to me the ratio, what the base malt is and the ratio of specialty malts is. And that kind of gives me a sense of what the beer is going to taste like. And then I can kind of adjust up and down as far as, you know, gravity goes to kind of get it within the target range. And then, um, you know, once I have that locked in, then I kind of do hops. And I say, well, for this beer... I'm going to need, you know, this amount right. of bittering to really kind of balance it out. I'm going to need, you know, these flavors. And I've got, oh, all these other flavors. I'm going to need more fl- aroma or I'm going to need less, depending on style or whatever. Like right, that. right. Yeah, yeah I, I do it roughly the same way. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, our very own Mike McDowell is in the chat room. And, Tasty! And he has a good question. Um, no, he doesn't. <laughs> That um, I think we talked about on the on the session about adding uh, adding water. He goes uh, when adding deoxygenated and carbonated water to dilute my high gravity beer. Should I also add some acid to the water to get it to line up better with the pH of the beer? No, I don't think so. I mean, it seems like a really hard thing to try to do, right? Well, I mean, because you're adding a little bit of water. Depends on the water, though, and the yeah, percentage of the water. I would kind of agree that, in a way, um, 
you know, I think the ideal thing to add is distilled water. Yeah. Where you're just changing, you know, the volume essentially. Mm-hmm. Versus, um, you know, if you're adding a, a, you know, a tap water with a hard, you know, mineral content, yeah, that's a lot not of the carbonate. Yeah. yeah, that's not really the case here. You know, where you're getting this, uh, you know, sm- snow melt through East Bay mud, but. Um, if you were looking at something like that, I would try and either boil the water or something like that to you know degas it and all that, and knock out some of those uh, temporary car- you know Hardness. carbonates and, and yeah. things like that. And, um, you know, but I wouldn't be adverse to um, you know tweaking the the pH a little bit to match your beer because uh, I think that's a, a a great question. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think if you're Going to because otherwise you're changing the pH of the beer. Yeah, depends on how much water you're adding. Of course, if it's a small amount, then eh, just do it and yeah. don't worry. Otherwise, you know, add distilled, and you're probably closer. And if right. you're not going to add distilled, then yeah, maybe tweak the pH a, a tiny bit. Well, yeah, and try and, and match up. I th- this kind of comes back to a lot of the a lot of the water chemistry questions I've gotten in the past, where people say, okay. You know, my water pH is eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, should I adjust this with acid down to five to match my beer? Or ma- right. Because that's the mash pH I want. And it's like, no, you don't want to. Because, I mean, depending on the the buffering capability of that water, the chemistry of that water, mm-hmm. you know, is that the the mash or the, the beer pH in the, the – everything that's driving the pH of the beer would probably totally overwhelm the buffering capacity of the water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can take it from eight and a half and it'll drop right in, in. You may, by diluting with that water, you may end up changing the pH from, you know, five to 5.2. Um, but if you were to try to acidify it, now that that acidification is going to enter into the equation and you may end up driving your overall beer pH two points, you know, two tenths lower than what it was because um the you know the 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 mash chemistry or the beer chemistry was enough to bring the pH down from eight and a half to five. But this acid that you've added mm-hmm. to do the job now is going to drive the pH even lower in the beer. So yeah. depending on the the water chemistry that you're you're diluting with, if you're adding deionized or distilled, yeah. then you're not adding any any more chemistry to that mix. And you're just going to dilute, and the pH of the but, uh, system is going to uh, dominate. But but uh, if you are um, if you are talking about uh, you know a finite amount of water, mm-hmm. and if you adjust that pH to you know where it's balanced out, where if you wait and and really you know. Let's say overnight, you're sure that pH is that pH, and you add that to your beer. I, I don't see how that would affect the beer because the the volume of that water that you're adding that's already a balanced pH of you know whatever it might be. It's not gonna the acid's not gonna be. Let's say you take a you know eight percent or eight pH eight uh, beer or water, and you you drive that down to you know uh, four or four and a half, whatever your beer might be. Mm-hmm. If it settles out at that, I, I can agree if you drop in a bunch of acid and 
trying it's bouncing around. But if you wait overnight and you get a four and a half pH that matches your beer, and then add it to the beer, I don't see how it would change the beer itself because that volume of water is there with its. Are you saying that um, what I'd have happen is it's going to drive that beer further down? Because isn't the buffering capacity of that water, isn't that like a fixed thing and the acid a fixed thing? And yeah, I mean you're 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 locked in. So I, you know, twenty four hours later, mm-hmm. it's not going to go any further. And then you add it to your beer, you're you're transferring over the buffering capacity of the water plus the acidification capacity of the. Uh, of the acids, yeah, but I, th- you, I think it you can be consistent. But I think you can end up with secondary or even tertiary chemical reactions going on um, uh-huh. due to the constituents that you've added to the water uh-huh. that um, could change the chemistry. Uh-huh. I, I, you know, I guess maybe I need to bow out and say we should get a chemist in here to uh-huh. uh, really address the question. Huh. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that that would be would be the case. I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, what you're saying is, the acids that were added, they've acted on the composition of the water and have caused the uh, pH to drop to a certain level, mm-hmm. and that it's, it's stabilized. Yeah. But then in a given beer, there may be other reactions with the residual acidity that causes a further shift, mm-hmm. unpredicted, um, yeah, uh, through a chemical reaction. That's, that's essentially what I'm saying. But I may be uh, wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I you know, I, th- I uh, yeah, I, I think may if I if. If we look again at the top end where we say you've got two gallons of water right, that's right. at eight and a half pH and you're adding enough acid to bring that down to four, uh-huh. that could be a very small amount of acid to require to do that unless that's a highly, highly alkaline water. Right, right. Uh, yeah, then yeah, I, maybe maybe I'm uh, my position is, is a little too extreme. I mean, the effect won't be that great. Okay. You may be closer to the truth with their yeah. it'll essentially so when you add acids to these uh, this water, does it bind with the you know mineral components, the salt components, and cause it to drop out or you know cause see, it's it change a... or does it is it you're just measuring the free hydrogen in the you're measuring you're measuring the the free hydroxides mm-hmm. the ohs mm-hmm. when you measure pH. Um, the, in the case, phosphoric acid is a good case because when you add phosphoric acid to beer or to mm-hmm. the mash, mm-hmm. um, now you've got calcium phosphate, which is partially soluble right? or partially insoluble is a better way to look at it. So now you, t- you end up taking out a, a chunk of calcium mm-hmm. out of the, out of the, uh, mm-hmm. chemistry of that solution. Um, and you end up, you end up changing the pH I mean, if you're if you're sitting there and measuring the pH change as you add acid, mm-hmm. okay, then you know what the final pH of that solution is. Yeah. But if you're trying to predict it, and say, you know, I'm adding, right. you know, half a mole of of hydrogen uh-huh. in this acid, well, that is going to be half a mole of hydrogen 
but then there's this calcium phosphate reaction going on wow. that is changing that chemistry further. Right. If you're adding a simple acid such as hydrochloric, mm-hmm. well, chlorides are always soluble. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're not going to change. When you add that acid, that's not going to change the chemistry of the, of the solution at all. Mm-hmm. They're just going to be free hydrogens from free chlorides. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, um, oh, well, let's see, sulfuric, I guess, or but, um, but you know, other other simple acids. Uh, lactic acid, I'm not aware of it reacting with anything mm-hmm. organically. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that may be a, a more straightforward thing. But phosphoric, in particular, there's there's the whole calcium phosphate system to consider. Mm-hmm. And I'm not enough of a chemist to predict what's going to happen. Right. So I, I I guess the thing is getting back to the question, you know, <laughs> yeah. should he adjust the the pH? And you're saying no, or maybe a little bit, or, maybe a little bit. Right, depends on the water. Yeah, if your water's close to distilled, which I think you know in the in the East Bay or you know in the Bay Area, the you know California, if it's close to it, then just go ahead. But you know, would you be better off using distilled? I think you'd be better off using distilled, and then you you really have no worries because it's just changing yeah. volume. It's mm-hmm. al- although I guess your acidity would change with that too, right? Yeah, because your it, volume changes. Yeah, the the overall concentration will change. All right, and, and you're gonna you're gonna you know you're gonna change the uh, the calcium or uh, not the calcium the um, chloride sulfate ratio. You're gonna change your right, residual right. alkalinity a little bit. But, Although it's it's even. It's just volume. Yeah. Everything's distributed across the same volume. Right. Or you know, it's, it initially your whatever your volume is, everything's evenly distributed unless something is dependent on volume mm-hmm. for its solubility. chemical solubility. Then. That's you know, when, adding adding distilled is not going to change it. But if it's dependent upon concentration to really, you know, solubility, then, of course, that that's an issue. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if we answered that question, but we, we kind of dove into it. Maybe there's there's a good chance for uh, experimentation there. But yeah. Excellent question, Tasty. Thanks, nerd thanks brother. I think, uh, you know, maybe we, we ought to get together and discuss it more over a pint of beer. All right. Let's take a short break, and when we get back, uh, we'll have more of your questions after this. Since 1921, Mundins has been a provider of quality malted grain and extract. What did he just say? What did he say? That's 90 years of locally sourced grain for home brewers and professional brewers alike. All farm within 50 miles of our malt houses. What? I can't understand what this guy said. Last part. Whole and crushed malts, including wheat and peated malt, liquid extract, hopped and unhopped, as well as dried malt extract. Everything from beginner home brewer kits to all the ingredients an infant's home brewer needs. Something about trains? What? Language is this guy speaking? He's from Austria. <laughs> Mundins is proudly serving brewers in 54 countries and honored to be a leader in mowing. Can you understand this guy? No. <laughs> That's a really free language. Muntins for brewing, distilling, and baking. Quality malted grain and extract for 90 years. Make your malt Muntins. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. 
The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerone's No Beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerone's are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerone's are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmasters Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. Do you support the Brewing Network? Do you brew your own? Are you looking for any economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you, entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zalashev and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard. And polish your style accuracy with DeVille. A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at byo.com slash brewing network, or just click the BYO logo on the Brewing Network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster. Brew your own. The how-to homebrew beer magazine. to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're doing the Q&A. We're knocking through all your questions that you send into brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. Don't forget to check out the Brewing Network store. That's, That's right. how you support this programming and make sure that uh, you know what we do keeps going on. So if you like this, you know, Brewing Network, thebrewingnetwork.com slash store, you know, check out the, all the goodies there. Lots of books. They'll be signed by Monsieur Palmer <laughs> and uh, myself. Uh, we got books in there, and uh, you know, lots of cool shirts. Uh, he and I wear these things. I tell you, that's right. I see people at uh, at events, and they're wearing like a Brewing Network shirt. Hop grenade. The hop grenade's really cool. You know, the Brew Strong, mm-hmm. really cool. You know, all this stuff. And I, I you know, see them. I'm like, hey, nice shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, brother. You mm-hmm. know, uh, nice to see you. 
So check it out. It it, it really makes a difference, and uh, I think you'll enjoy the, the products as well. All right, next question. Okay, this is from Brian in Alaska. He writes, hey, guys, I have made some of my own specialty malts over the past summer to use in my brews and really love the flavors and aroma I got out of them. It's a subject I don't hear much about, and I was wondering if you had done any of this yourselves and what your results may have been. The problem I'm seeing is being able to tell when I have toasted my grain to the level of Vienna malt or Victory malt and anything in between, or is it Crystal 60 or Crystal 80, uh, and being able to be consistent. Do you have any tips or advice for the subject? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, so basically how to hit your... Well, how to hit your malts to what you need, or right. is it just like a one thing? And well, that's it? I, I think if you do it enough, you'll you'll you gain confidence. But without, uh, you know, the the tricky thing on this is he probably doesn't have all these specialty malts available to him to taste to try, and, and yeah. that's why you know if you had them available, you'd go ahead and do your batch and see. All right, I'm going to do you know 30 minutes at 350 degrees. And I'm, you know, I'll wait a week or two, and then I'll taste them in comparison. I'll do a steep, and taste the the resulting liquid. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, those are the same. Oh no, I'm way off. And you'd adjust by that. Um, that's if you have those malts available to. If you don't have those malts available to, I don't think you really can. Yeah. I think all you can do is say, you know, this is Joe's malt at uh, 350 degrees for 30 minutes, and you know when I use that in my porter. Ah, that's delicious. Mm-hmm. You know, or I'm looking for a little bit more of. I'm this. looking for a little yeah. more of this. You know, a little more coffee, a little more chocolate, or a little less, or you know, a little more bready, a little more toasty. And you just use your own measure, and who cares whether it's matching some other malt? If you really want to match those other malts and match those other recipes, then I would suggest. You know, sourcing it from, you know, one of our sponsors like, you know, uh, More Beer or Northern Brewer and or your local homebrew supply shop if they can. And, uh, you know, and go ahead and doing that and, and see what those beers turn out like. And then, you know, do your own and, and, and see how close you can come or, you know, make something even better. Yeah. But and, there's, unless you've got the spectrophotometer to measure color, right? It's pretty hard to. Identify right. and even where you color are. is not necessarily a, right. a, a you know indicator of what the flavor is like because you can develop the same color at a lower temperature for a longer time as you can for at a higher temperature for a shorter time mm-hmm. and those are going to develop you know completely different flavors. That's right. So you know you're kind of stuck there. You can ask the the maltsters to kind of give you some guidance, but what I would rely on is your your taste and your flavor and what you think is making the best beer. I mean, that's really all that matters. Yeah. There is a good book out there called On Malts and Malting, uh-huh. which really will walk you through um, how the various malts are made. Um, you know, not a specific recipe, but a, but a, very, but a very thorough guideline as to how that uh, type of malt's made, whether yeah. it's Munich or roast or whatever. Uh-huh. Excellent, excellent. Uh, here is another question that was sent to us to uh, or sent to us at Brewstrong at thebrewnetwork.com uh, from Jed. Jed says, hello. Uh, hi, Jed. Hey, Jed. I have a question regarding crash cooling in the primary secondary fermenter. I use an S-curve airlock during crashing, which prevents star sand from getting pulled in. But I was wondering if the air that gets pulled in during cooling has a large effect on stability and or oxidation. 
I only crash in the fermenter for about five days before moving to the keg and purging with CO2. See, you know, my preference is to go ahead and transfer to the keg and do it there. Mm -hmm. And you avoid this problem altogether. You know, the amount of how much oxidation that forms, it does form some oxidation and it accelerates staling. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. If you can drink the beer quickly, then I think it's no big deal. But if you plan on storing that beer for a long time and, and developing something over over time, then I think it's a bad idea. So, eh, Great. it's me. I, I'm not sure it's... What do you think, John? No, I, I agree. I it's mean, a it, small amount of oxygen, but yeah, I, every molecule. Yeah, I... All the loggers I've been doing in the last five years have been kind of in the primary and then lager in a keg. Uh-huh. You know, like... Right. So... Yeah, if you're lowering temperature, I would throw it in a keg first so you can flush it with CO2. Yeah. Uh, that's that's my take. <laughs> uh, this one is about aging a barrel, uh, aging a beer in a bourbon barrel. Excuse me. Um, Drew writes, hey, guys, I enjoy the series on high-gravity and wood-aged beer, but I have a question that I don't think sh- this show is addressed. I'm working on a scotch ale that I plan to eventually age in a 10-liter barrel that is currently filled with bourbon. I plan to empty the bourbon and fill the barrel with a scotch ale. From what I picked up listening to the shows, I may not have to age the beer very long because the barrel isn't that big. So I'm thinking about a week. Is that right? I also uh, bottle condition all my beers. With this recipe, would I bottle condition the beer after I've had it in the barrel? If not, how would I recreate bottle conditioning without actually bottle conditioning? First off, if you just empty that barrel of bourbon and throw a beer in, it's going to taste like bourbon. Yeah. It's going to be, Within you know. an hour. Big time bourbon. Yeah. You just put it in and then take it out. It's going to taste like bourbon. It's not going to taste like a lot of wood. Wouldn't you say, JP, you've done a lot of wood aging uh, of beers. I have. And only one barrel. Recently did a barrel. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it depends on the size. Uh, did he actually say the size? 10 liter? 10 liter. 10 <clears throat> liter. What is that? Two and a half gallons. Yeah, that's really small. Um, I mean, I would just, uh, you know, leave it in there for a week and taste it. Yeah. Um, I think with a barrel that small, you should really be trying some. But every if, week. if you just, if it's full of bourbon right oh, now. If it's full of bourbon. Yeah, it's, it's just going to taste bourbon. like bourbon. It's not going to taste like anything other than bourbon. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe, what do you think, empty it and then uh, just rinse it? Yeah, so hot water. Just try to get water. some of that bourbon out because especially, yeah, with a, with a 10-liter barrel, and uh, that just had bourbon in it. Yeah, I, I think you're... It's, it's going to taste like nothing but bourbon. No, it, yeah. So... Um, Which it, is, you know, it's it, you know, it's fine. You know, run some beers through it. Definitely run some beers through it. I mean, uh, you might actually pull it out and maybe have to put some oak chips or oak cubes right. on it to get more oak flavor because I think mm-hmm. that bourbon's going to come straight through and you, maybe right. you won't have enough right. time to pick up any oak character. Right? Yeah. I don't know. For, for bottle conditioning, he's probably going to want to croisin. Uh, take a sure. another another batch for fermenting mm-hmm. and add it to it. Right. I mean, you could go ahead and kick a new yeast in there. You know, you're, you're looking at uh, you know one billion cells per per liter of beer of uh, yeast. If if you do that, then yeah, you're fine. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's a uh, question from one of our Aussie listeners, uh, BB Billy. He says, hey, Jamil and John, uh, I did my first low-gravity no-sparge on Friday night, Jamil's Scottish 70. 
I have a 55 liter or 14.5 gallon cooler. So a typical low gravity single batch has too little strike water to work effectively in my system. I followed John's no sparge calculation in how to brew the long way and hit my numbers just like magic. I can follow the math, but I don't understand why the scale up factor works. I can see that you are determining the ratio of pre-boil to pre-boil less water retained by the absorption of the grain. Mm -hmm. I'd appreciate it if you could delve a little into why this works. Thanks for all that you do in the brewing world. Oh, you're welcome. Um, boy, let's see. That's a good one, right? It is. Yeah. It's uh, guy obviously has thought this through and yeah. <laughs> has done his work, and you know, it's not like I'm too lazy to do anything. It's like I've worked through all the numbers now. You know? <laughs> Explained what I'm doing. Yeah, boy, it's been <clears throat> that's been an awful long time since I've looked at those calculations. It's all on you, brother. Yeah. Um. The original calculations came from Ken Schwartz, and I'm trying to the scale up factor. You know, I believe that was something I never really worked derived for myself. You know, worked it through to figure out what that meant. Um, yeah, the basic the basic premise of of batch sparging and no sparge brewing is that you're you're um, you're taking the the initial runnings. And calculating how much is it going to be retained by the grain as you drain the mash t- the grain bed, and um, so that's going to be that amount of liquids can be retained if you're batch sparging that that then that amount of liquor liquor that's retained is now going to be diluted by your second or third uh, sparge runnings, but in no sparge it c- comes out to your extraction efficiency diluted about. By the total amount of water, and uh, and then how much is retained uh, in the in the grain bed, the and I th- I think the concentration factor is a part of that. But I'm you know I don't have the equations in front of me at the moment, so not going to be much help. Um, tell you what, if you forward that email to me at my uh, home address, I'll, I'll I'll pull out the book <laughs> and work through it and see if I can get you a better answer. Oh, come on, oh, man. Sorry. All right. Well, that, that's in the Brew Strong at uh, thebrewingnetwork.com email queue. That's true. I do have it at home. So. Right. So you already have it. I, I have it, yes. Here. Now you hand us that this sheet of paper here. Um, okay. Last question. Last question, this one. All right. Here. There you are. Answer that one. Forwarded. Oh, okay. It's been forwarded. Analog forward. And we got on the video camera that... Uh, Yep. All right, Palmer has it in his hand, and uh, <laughs> yep. he will take care of that one. Because, you know, I didn't understand a word of that, <laughs> that answer. <laughs> I'm lying here going, what? What? Of course, I've had... Uh, 2,500 beers. 2,500 beers. Yeah, We're in yeah. our fifth, sixth show? Yeah. Eighth absolutely. show. All I'll right. get you an yeah. answer for that question. Okay. Great. All right. He can do it. I have faith. All right. Uh, let's take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we'll wrap up this uh, Q&A session. Back cool. after this. When Blickman Engineering set out to design a great brewing stand, they knew it had to be strong, adaptable, and last for a lifetime. The top-tier brewing stand is now proudly available at BlickmanEngineering.com. It grows with your brewing skills and equipment. Start with 5-gallon coolers on its heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves. 
Then move all the way up to 30-gallon pots on the high-output burner tiers. Speaking of burners, the custom Blickman Engineering top-tier burners are extremely powerful, efficient, and amazingly quiet. They have safety stops to center your pot, and they'll last a lifetime and won't rust. The top-tier brewing stand allows virtually infinite combinations from traditional gravity systems to two tiers to completely horizontal. Configure your stand the way you want and have the freedom to change it at any time in the future. Your brewing stand should adapt with you, not force you to learn a new process. Visit BlickmanEngineering.com today to configure your top-tier brewing stand and to find a local Blickman retailer. You'll be surprised with all the flexible features and the competitive price. Start brewing with Blickman from the top tier. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Homebrewers, is your best beer worth a thousand bucks? Find out at Cass River Homebrew Club's upcoming competition, Homebrew at the Web. This is Homebrew at the Web's fourth year, and it's a BJCP-sanctioned comp, pushing 600 entries. It's held in conjunction with the World Expo of Beers, Michigan's largest beer fest, with more than 10,000 visitors every year. Register February 6th through February 19th at crhbc.com. Judging is March 4th, 5th, and 6th at Sullivan's Black Forest Brewhouse. These guys are serious about your score sheets, too. Last year, they were returned within 24 hours. And don't miss a special presentation Saturday evening from Mr. Ninkasi, Gordon Strong. The best of show will be brewed by Sullivan's Black Forest Brewhouse. House. The best of show mead or cider receives a $500 gift certificate from Adventures in Homebrewing. And the best of show beer gets a thousand bucks at Northern Brewer. For more information, to enter or to volunteer to help, visit crhbc.com. Cass River Homebrew Club thanks Midland Brewing Company in Midland, Michigan for their platinum sponsorship of this event. Midland Brewing Company, old style lagers and ales brewed in America. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Double Secret Probation IPA, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, Special Rotating Taps, and the BN Army Members Special. Wear your BN gear, get 10% off your beer. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. This is www.thebrewingnetwork.com. Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back 
back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right. It's like six and a half hours into uh, into the show. (laughs) We're just Uh, a little punchy. So many pints, 25 pints of beer, one half pint of water. One Dr. Pepper. One Dr. Pepper. We're ready to wrap it up. So we're we're just going to do a couple more questions. You know, if you have questions for the show, uh, BrewStrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. Go ahead and uh, send those in there. We won't answer them immediately, but we'll we'll go ahead and line those up with the show. You get an auto response. If you need something like, uh, you know, I'm going to die if I don't get this answer right away. <laughs> Say uh, so. Send it to us, you know. Uh, personally, and uh, you know, a week or two, we'll get to those. <laughs> we'll do our best. Yeah. Uh, we 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 don't want your question to go unanswered. We don't want you to waste your time. Uh, so we respect that that you've sent us the email. We want to make sure we answer every single last freaking uh, one of them. So uh, you know, it's 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 not wasted. We appreciate your participation in the show. All right, let's uh, finish up here. Two more questions. All right, Trevor in San Francisco, right? Hey guys. Hey guys. Love the show and everything you're doing for the brewing community. Love you. Uh, I had a question about brewing a Hefeweizen in San Francisco. My apartment is 75 to 78 during the summer, mm. uh, and I really want to brew a Hefeweizen. From what I've read, I really Target need to be. Fall or winter? Yeah. Well, from, from what I've read, I really need to be around 68 for proper flavoring during ferment. Mm. I'm worried that I'll end up with an ex- offensive banana flavor if I do ferment at the 75 to 78 temp. What's the best way to solve this problem? I don't have a basement, and as you know, in San Francisco, space is limited. I've been toying with the idea of getting a small fridge, but not sure if this is the best solution. Thanks in advance, Trevor. You know, those banana flavors and all the flavors are, are dependent on, on more than just temperature. Uh, one, one thing you could do is wait until winter and then, you know, brew them then. I'm, you know, it's a lot colder. Or wait till summer. That's a lot colder in San Francisco. That's like the coldest on the planet is uh, somewhere in San Francisco. Uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's more than just, just temperature. So it's pitching rate as well. It's oxygen, it's nutrients, it's all these, these various things. And one of the things you can do to limit, uh, the banana character is actually reduce your pitching rate. So, you know, scale back on your pitching rate, and that should actually limit the banana character, right, John? Yeah. That's one of the, one of the things, uh, the, the odd things. You know, <laughs> fermentation, you know, produces certain esters, but, you know, certain esters are also reduced by certain actions. So, you know, while the yeast is growing, certain esters are not produced. It actually limits production of certain esters uh, by tying up, uh, you know, certain processes. So... You know, you can mess around with your, um, you know, your your pitching rate and your oxygen, and that should have a, a pretty good effect on it. You know, the other thing you can do is, of course, you know, get yourself a little fridge and a controller, and there mm-hmm. you go. You can ferment in any time that was, of any year. That was one of his uh, suggestions is yeah. that's right. what he should do. It sounds but, like, yeah, if you want to do it in the summertime. Right. If what, what more about important this idea? Is, is controlling temperature. I mean, you really should as a home brewer. Yeah. What about, um, say, mixing um, half and half Cal-L with that yeast? Mm. I, uh, ooh, um, hmm. 
There you go. That's your answer. There you go. If you yeah. know what he says, email Bruce Strong at <laughs> Um I suppose that might work a little bit. Well, see, the problem is, yeah, you may limit certain characters, but you're also going to limit other characters that you're looking for. Yeah, So true. what you're looking for is a certain balance of, you know, the clove and the banana and the other Hefeweizen character. And you, you know, pitch the Kaleo yeast to limit one, but you're limiting the others that you're looking for that are already kind of subtle and you're really actually looking for. I would, I would mess around more with, um, you know, pitching control. rates. Mm-hmm. You know, I, well, ideally, yeah, just temperature control. Every home brewer should be buying temperature control. You know, that is the difference between pro brewer and home brewer for the most part is temperature control. Yeah. So, you know, get yourself a, you know, a fridge for free and buy yourself a, a really nice controller that has, a, like, you know, anti-short cycle and things like that. And, you know, just spend the money on it. You'll, you'll be really happy. All right. Final question. Final, final. Um, this is from Jamie uh, in the U.K., Jammy, I guess is his chat name. Jammy. Anyway, uh, he says, I recently discovered the BN uh, and had to back listen to every show over the last few weeks. He has a question about bottle conditioning high ABV beers. He says, I have a demijohn of double IPA I've been feeding DME and sugar to for the last couple of weeks. The alcohol content should be up at a between 9 and 10%. Uh, the yeast was a US 05, and it worked very well finishing clean at 10-11. I've had it conditioning at three degrees Celsius. I don't know what for, for Fahrenheit that is. Uh, for the last Two, week, yeah, it's like uh, boiling. Okay, <laughs> I've had it conditioning at boiling or three Celsius for the last week, and it's cleared up nicely. USO five can be a bit murky if you don't filter or fine it. If I bottle with the usual tablespoon of sugar per bottle, where will there be any yeast left in suspension to carbonate? The other option, of course, is to add a bottling yeast, but would chucking fresh yeast into a 10% ABV alcohol not kill them before they got started? Well, well you know, there's always yeast left unless you filter it out and or really wait a long time. And he's waited uh, how many weeks? Uh, this was uh, Sunday, November 1st. <laughs> From when he emailed it? or Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear the original question. Sorry, I just how, guessed. How many weeks was it in the fermenter? Uh, he just said um, last couple of weeks. He didn't really, uh, didn't really um, give a time of how. You know, how long a few is, weeks but. is 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 not an issue. But you know, the yeast will be totally stressed by being in there. 10%, so you know, yeah. counting on the 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 yeast that are sitting there at ten percent for three or four weeks. You know, those are in much worse shape than if you make yourself an active pitch. You know, the thing is, like John mentioned earlier, croissoning. Um, you know, if you can go ahead and make a starter up of an active yeast and then pitch that in, that has a much better chance of fully carbonating the beer than, you know, unhealthy yeast that has sat there for weeks under the, the alcohol strain. So, uh, you know, that that's definitely the way you would go. Um, you know, me, I'm lazy and I like consistency, so I go with kegging and uh, I just dial in whatever carbonation mm-hmm. I and I'm done. I don't care about the yeast at that point. Yeah, but yeah, I think for this beer, you know that that alcohol, that length of time, probably uh, uh, croissing with a small amount of uh, of new yeast and sugar, prime and sugar will get him the bottle condition beer he's looking for. Excellent. All right. 
Well, and I think uh, another fine episode of uh, Brew Strong. Oh, I should hope so. (laughs) Four shows in. We're pretty much done. Uh, If you like this programming, make sure you check out our sponsor, BlickmanEngineering.com. Blickman with two N's. Uh, You know, he's paying for this show so you don't have to. Also, check out uh, the Brewing Network. Lots of great stuff in the sh- in the store. You know, John is going to sign some uh, how to brew copies, some, yep. some brewing classic styles. I'm going to sign some yeast books. Yep. Uh, you pick those up, and a, and a big portion of that sale goes right to the, the Brewing Network's bottom line and, and keeps this programming on the air. So yeah. if you enjoy it, go ahead and buy some stuff. Buy yeah. some shirts. You know, buy a shirt for your grandma. Uh, you know, I've had <laughs> on we'll that sign expert will. opinion that grandma will love it. Yeah. We'll sign shirts, too. We'll sign shirts. We'll, we'll sign boobies. If, if you bring us the boobies, we'll sign them. Absolutely. And, uh, attached. You know, attached, yeah. Yeah, don't cut them off. Then they're no good anymore. You know, they have to be attached. Otherwise, they're, you know, all of a sudden, they're, they be, they spoil really fast. You know, check out the AHA. Check out BYO. All good stuff and, and deserving of support. And always remember, I get, to get the one piece of advice for you at the end of the show. And that is, rock and roll, hoochie-coo. Lordy, mama, light my fuse. Be strong. Be strong, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>